Welcome to the Most Important Work Podcast with clinical psychologist, Dr. Jessica Black. Each episode, she uses her background in addictive behaviors and psychological trauma to address common questions and concerns of the loved ones of individuals with substance use disorders. We invite you to visit our website to suggest questions and topics you'd like Dr. Black to address in future episodes. Thank you for joining us. On today's episode of The Most Important Work, I'm talking with board-certified pediatrician, Dr. Elizabeth Cuttrell of Children's Hospital of UPMC. I'm talking with Dr. Cuttrell because families have repeatedly shared with me that one of their biggest struggles with addiction in the family is connecting to resources, including resources that would help the child affected. Pediatricians are an excellent source for community resources. They can often connect you directly to some of the best therapists, to help with insurance, and more. Your pediatrician likely knows your child very well, and they care about not only their physical health, but their mental health. So I'm excited to bring this episode to you today, and I hope that you learn a little bit about how much your pediatrician may be able to help your family And also, I hope I ease any kind of fear or uncomfortable feelings you may have about talking to them about something that's affecting your child that isn't strictly medical. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, So as a physician, you have lots of choices in what branch of medicine to practice. Why did you choose pediatrics? Well, you know, in general, I wanted to become a physician because I find the human body fascinating, Mm -hmm. how it works, you know, just how everything comes together. But pediatrics um, specifically was appealing to me because it is fascinating to see how children change over time, what they can do, what they can accomplish, how their body changes. Um, And in pediatrics, you have such wonderful continuity of care with your families where you really do get to see them like from birth on and to see the type of person that they become. Um, And then additionally, my grandfather was a pediatrician, um, and it was really nice to see the bond that he had with his families and just, you know, how he was in his community. So Mm -hmm. I guess you could say the apple doesn't fall far (laughs) from the tree. Yeah, that's so great. So you, you had an opportunity to witness how you build a bond with families in the community. And you really get to see them over time. It's not just for one thing that's going on where the issue is addressed, the person is recovered, and you may not see them again. Right. You really get to see what kind of person they develop into. So not just their physical health and how that develops, which is, of course, very important, Mm -hmm. but the overall person. Yes, exactly. So... In your practice, you know, at the beginning we mentioned that you're both in suburban areas, but you're also in rural areas, Mm -hmm. too. Um, So how often do you encounter a child who's affected by a loved one's addiction, a loved one's substance use problem? Um, Unfortunately, I feel like it's happening almost on a daily basis now. Um, And there, there is a wide range of how we come to know that there Mm -hmm. is an issue going on in the family. So, for example, in the newborn period, when we're seeing babies in the hospital in the newborn nursery, 
for all women that go into labor and deliver at a hospital, they all have drug tests before they have the baby to see if they're on any um, illicit drugs. And so we know right away mm -hmm. from the mother's urine drug screen if right. the baby had been exposed to anything potentially. Um, and there are things that we have to do for the baby because of a positive exposure. On certain drugs, we have to watch them longer in the hospital to see if the babies have any withdrawal symptoms. And sometimes babies have to be in the hospital for weeks from withdrawal symptoms, needing medication. So that can be kind of a long process. So for babies, oftentimes that's how we find out um, that someone has been affected. And then with older children, there's a wide range of how we find out. So there are some families where they specifically make the appointment because things aren't going well in the home and they mm -hmm. want to talk to a physician about what's going on. And they're very forthcoming about mm -hmm. the issues going on with their loved ones. And then there are other families that aren't necessarily forthcoming outright about mm -hmm. issues going on at home, but it's a child that's presenting with abdominal pain or headaches or, you know, they start peeing in the bed a lot when previously they hadn't been doing that. Um, and so, you know, as a physician, I have to rule out the medical conditions that can cause these things. But you always ask about stress in the home, changes going on at home. And a lot of time when you ask those questions, then the family member there with the child will, you know, kind of discuss mm -hmm. about what's going on. And sometimes... They talk about it in front of the child, and sometimes they ask, hey, can we talk about this in a separate room? And so we go mm -hmm. in another room and have a discussion. Um, and then sometimes in the older kids, the teenagers, um, they usually are more forthcoming mm -hmm. with things. So it, it can be a, a wide range. But unfortunately, it is every day that I feel like I'm encountering somebody being affected by this. So... Every day you're encountering a child who's affected by their parents' substance mm -hmm. use. Yes. How challenging it must be as a physician because you are dealing with infants who have completely different needs from a grade school child mm -hmm. versus a teenager. Yes. So from infants, you may know before the mother even delivers that child that there's a possibility that that baby may be physically dependent to yes. some kind of substance. Yes. Yes. And I think it's really interesting and important that you noted that adolescents are often forthcoming. Yeah, surprisingly so. Yes. Like, they will tell me, my brother does this. You know, my dad went to jail for that. You mm -hmm. know, they, a lot of times they're honest. Yeah. Why do you think teens are honest? I feel like they can be more private about right. certain things. Right. Um, but when you ask, a lot of times when I ask them, questions mm -hmm. that isn't about them, but mm -hmm. about a friend or a family member. They will be honest about what right. the friend or the family member is doing. Yes. So, I mean, you know, during well visits, we do ask teenagers right. if they use drugs or drink alcohol or vape. But I always start the question with, do any of your friends vape? Do any of your friends yes. use marijuana? Because they'll fuss up to what their friends are doing even if they won't fess up to what they themselves right. are doing. So, and it gives you a proxy of what they may be doing or what their yes. world looks like. Yes, or at least what they're exposed yeah. to. I think that's so important, too, because to note that when you ask them, this is a child, this teenager may have seen you multiple times, yes. and you're a trusted person. You're someone who they know is a safe adult who cares about them. Yes. And when you come right forward and ask them these tough questions... 
think it shows that they may be wanting to tell someone. They yes. may want to talk about it. Yes. Because I think there's often a fear um, or a misconception that children don't want to talk about it. Teenagers don't want to talk about it. But often they do. It's just no one's asked. Yes. Yeah. So that's I think exactly that's a right. really great point. How is it different when you identify that there could be a substance problem in the family? Have you noticed any differences between families who are more forthcoming and families who are maybe not as forthcoming, but you first identify physical symptoms? You know, not everyone follows the same path with how they share their story. So I don't think I can say that it's consistent one way or the other. Just that it's important to be aware of both. Yes. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges, regardless of the path, that leads you to identify that there's a problem in the family with substance use? Once you do, what do you see are some of the biggest challenges of helping these kids, these families? Well, these children are living in a home with a lot of chaos. That's that's what, mm-hmm. you know, substance use does to families. It's a lot of chaos. Um, and as we all know, children need a safe, mm-hmm. consistent world. And oftentimes their parents are supposed to be their anchors. But in this situation, you know, it's one parent or both or whoever that unfortunately can't be an anchor for the child. There are many challenges that these children face. So, you know, if you're looking at a newborn, it is very important. Let's say this family was allowed to go home with the mother because obviously CYF gets involved right away when the mother, you know, has a positive drug screen in the hospital. But so let's say the baby goes home with the mom. If the mom is not, you know, interacting with the baby and, you know, talking to the baby, touching the baby, holding the baby, that baby can have not a good attachment to the parent. And that can cause emotional issues later on down the line. Yes. Unfortunately, children and adolescents, they may have issues at school. They may have malnutrition Mm -hmm. if the parent isn't, you know, feeding them. They may have, you know, hygiene issues. They may be getting into trouble at school or acting mm-hmm. out at school. There, there's a lot of ways that they can kind of present with mm-hmm. all the challenges. Um, they can be getting in trouble with the law. Obviously, with teenagers, we especially start to worry about this. We know that substance use disorders have both a genetic and an environmental predisposition. Mm-hmm. And so we have to worry about these kids where if a parent is a, affected by an addiction, that they have the same genetics as their Mm -hmm. parent, and therefore Mm -hmm. they're more likely to Mm -hmm. also develop that as well. So, of course, we always worry that these teenagers are going to go down a similar path as Mm -hmm. their parent. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of challenges. Um, In addition to that, um, a lot of these families have financial hardships. It can be difficult for them to have access to a car, to go see a mental health professional or to yes. go get the counseling that they need, yes. or it's it for a lot of these families. I feel like it is challenge on top of challenge on top of challenge. It is really a hard thing mm-hmm. yes. to overcome. So, depending on the age of the child, mm-hmm. you see different challenges. Yes, some things that it seems like. And tell me if I'm wrong. It seems like you're some things that you've identified is that. All children from infancy through adolescence need anchors in their life. Yes. 
And I feel like pediatricians are one such anchor. You're in their community. You're in this, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're a steady, safe person for them. So I think that children and families where there's addiction problems, they often have these unique strengths, even if the kids themselves do not see them. So what do you see when you get to follow these children over time? For the children that someone in their life has taken over that parent responsibility, whether it be a foster parent or Mm -hmm. a grandparent or an aunt or whomever it may be, for those children where they kind of get sheltered from the chaos, Mm -hmm. I see a lot of those children thrive. And as they grow up, and especially as they are getting closer to adulthood, Mm -hmm. I see them kind of recognize that they have gotten through one of the hardest things that a child could go through with a parent who, for whatever reason, isn't present. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten through it, and they're strong, and they are actually more resilient Mm -hmm. for the real world. Because if they can survive that, they can survive anything. So for a lot of these children, I see that they are not only ready for the real world, but in addition, a lot of them are very compassionate. I think when you see a loved one go through something difficult, and unfortunately how our society can kind of judge some Mm -hmm. of these people and... Mm -hmm. Don't uh, unfortunately, there are some people that don't think of this as a mental health issue, mm-hmm. but think of it more as like, oh, that person just yeah. isn't a good person, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of mm-hmm. you they're know somehow other. They're in a yeah, different so they're, group right, than me. And, right, the wrong side of the track, yes. so you will. So, yeah. So, yeah. So for these kids that have kind of unfortunately been exposed to some of that judgment from others. But obviously, for most of them, they still love their parent a lot, despite their choice. Yes. Um, they have a more nuanced view of yes. them. And a more realistic view, really, yeah. Yeah. of that person. But they seem to yeah. be just more compassionate to other people's struggles. Yeah. More resilient, yeah. more compassionate. Yeah. And isn't that the skills we all want for our children yeah. when they enter you exactly. know, the real world? Exactly. So those are definite strengths that I see in those kids. Now, having said that, you know, those are the children that had someone who was a strong support and was able to kind of help guide them through mm-hmm. childhood. So someone who pretty much did the role of a parent and mm-hmm. they did a good job of doing it. Mm-hmm. You could say the same thing on the flip side, where if you have a mm-hmm. child or no one really takes charge of that child's life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's say it's yeah. a, a grandparent that's taking care of them. But, you know, they're retired. They're on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't have the ability to take Mm -hmm. them anywhere to help them get help. You know, Mm -hmm. it's obviously exhausting having (laughs) young kids. And when you're, you know, an older person, I can only imagine how difficult that is. Um, And so if you have someone that already was at limited means with their resources and then they're being asked to do more, And they can only do so much. And it's Mm -hmm. not because they don't love their grandchild Mm -hmm. or whoever, you know, this child is related to them. But they can only do so much because Mm -hmm. as humans, we can only do so much. I I do see, unfortunately, the the flip side where a child who just didn't get all the help that they needed and all the guidance Mm -hmm. that they needed. And then they're the ones that oftentimes will have anxiety or depression or, Mm -hmm. you know, have a much tougher time being ready for the real world. Yes because they had such a jaded view of their childhood. 
I think that's a great point. So I don't know if this is okay for me to mention, but, you know, I'm a mother of young children and, you know, in addition to being a board certified pediatrician, Dr. Cutrell is also a mother of young children. And you mentioned how exhausting it is and that no one can be all things and no one is perfect. And I think that's such an important message to send to people that you can love them with everything you have and don't hesitate to reach out for support. Yes. Because no one can be all things. No. No one. And it can only help the child and help you yes. <laughs> by restoring you to be able to help the child. Yes. So, And that's why I'm so appreciative when it is brought up either at a, you know, a sick visit or a well mm-hmm. visit whenever, you know, we find out about it because we can help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as pediatricians, you know, we have care coordinators at our office that help get them out to different resources in the community. We have a pediatric psychologist at my office mm-hmm. that oftentimes will see these kids and kind of help them, okay, what's our first step that we need to do? Help us figure out where to send them next from a mental yes. health standpoint. And our psychologist here, she is fabulous and Mm -hmm. knows about a lot of different resources in the community once they tell us that there's a problem like we are happy to help we want to help we want to get the family connected Mm -hmm. with however many resources we can connect them with yes that there is help out there and they may not even realize it right and I think a lot of the people who are stepping up to do this really important work Maybe at a stage in their life, they may be, you know, a grandparent to the child where maybe their pediatrician's office when their children were younger didn't have those resources, but most of them do now. Is that right? Yes. A lot of them do now. Yes. And then, um, you know, also kind of that, that shame keeps it hidden. Yes. And that really, if, if we find the strength to be open about what's going on, there are things that we can do to help you. And no one can be all things. No one can be all things. And there are so many bad things that can happen in life. Mm -hmm. And at least from a medical professional standpoint, we all understand that substance use disorders are not your loved one being a bad person. It is a mental health issue. Something Mm -hmm. has happened in that person's Mm -hmm. life, and this is how they are choosing to deal with that pain. Mm -hmm. With my office and Mm -hmm. with all the pediatricians that I've interacted with, nobody is going to judge that loved one. All we want to do is help the child Mm -hmm. and help the family. So, and it, it would be great if everyone in the community could... Mm-hmm. just help these families right. and not right. judge these families. Right. And if you're taking the child to a regular well visit anyway, to know that, of course, there's no guarantee, right? Like you said, but all the pediatricians that you've worked with and interacted with, this is a safe place Yes, where you will not be judged. You really understand from a medical standpoint, substance use disorders And you want to help and connect them to more resources. Exactly. So we were talking earlier, you mentioned how you think something that's really important for these kids is having an anchor, meaning someone who's consistent, who will be there to listen and really hear what's going on in a child's life. And that starts in infancy, right? Mm -hmm. And the whole way through. So do you see that as the main strength? Are there other strengths you see in these caregivers who do step up? to help that child. Yeah, that's one of the biggest strengths. Um, And a lot of these caretakers 
are going to do things for the children that they wouldn't necessarily do for themselves. Mm -hmm. They may avoid their own doctor's appointments (laughs) and their own medications, Mm -hmm. but they will to the best of their ability, get their child mm-hmm. or their grandchild mm-hmm. to the doctor's appointment or to the mental health appointment. Mm-hmm. Or if, let's say, there's a behavior issue going on at school, like ADHD, for example, mm-hmm. and the child, it has gotten bad enough where the child needs a medicine, they're mm-hmm. going to make sure that the child gets their medicine, mm-hmm. even though they may for themselves not do a great job of taking <laughs> their high blood pressure medicines or, yes. or their cholesterol medicine. So for a lot of these caretakers, one of their biggest strengths is just that they are willing to do whatever they can to help the child to the best that they can do. And those are the children that you see do well when they have someone like that in their life. I think that for many people, especially if it's a grandparent who's taking care of the child because of their child's substance use problems, their shame and their self-doubt that they're not doing a good job. And what you see is that many of them are doing an excellent job. Yes. Right. So even if they don't do the best with taking care of their own health physically and mentally, they are taking care of that child and they are being a consistent anchor for them. And that's who does well. Yes. What are some things that you'd like to leave families who are affected by substance use disorder with as we kind of wrap up our talk today? I would want them to know They're not alone in their struggles. It's okay to talk about it. Mm -hmm. As the child's pediatrician, we definitely want to know about it because this is such a huge part of the child's life and can affect so many different parts of their life Mm -hmm. that we need to know about it so that we as physicians can help the child the best to our abilities. You want to know about it. You're here to help. You're already doing the most important work. And the kids who thrive, they may have come from chaotic homes, but if they have that anchor, that consistent person who shows up for them, is willing to pay attention to them when they're babies, listen to them when they're children and teens, then those children can thrive. And they can actually oftentimes have skills that their peers don't have. They can be more resilient and more empathetic. So thank you so much, Dr. Cutrell, for being here today. She's a board-certified pediatrician. She practices at suburban and rural community practices through the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and unfortunately is seeing children every day who are affected by a loved one's substance use disorder. So our listeners are certainly not alone. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional.